I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Ladies Night. I know I say this all the time, but I swear I'm especially excited for this one because I have one of the stars of Ted Lasso with me, Hannah Waddingham. Hello. And I cannot congratulate you on that show enough. Congratulate you and thank you because oh. you and the team, I feel like there was no show that I needed in my life more than what Ted Lasso wound up being this past year. Bless you. And who knew? My gosh, even us in it. I don't think we knew what it was going to be until we saw it all spliced together. And then all of us went, oh, oh, my God, this is a crazy privilege. I can't believe I'm in this. You know, when you when you dig the other people that you're in scenes with already and then you see what they create from scratch, it's like tingly, tingly. It's so special. So the, the fact that I was hiding before is out in our backyard, we have uh, a stray cat that comes by to visit all the time and I feed him every day and we finally just named him and we name all of the pets in this household after our favorite movies and shows. So the, the backyard cat is now Ted. Oh my God, does Jason know this? No, no. <laughs> oh my God, I'm gonna enjoy telling him that a, a very lovely stray cat has been named after him. We just bought Ted a house. It's I should I should hang a believe sign on that house. Oh my god, you do need to hang a believe sign on the house. That's so cute. <laughs> All right. I teed up the dice tower for you a little. That's what this is. This is the big review. Okay. So we're gonna go credit by credit and make our way to Ted Lasso. But I always love talking about a lot of random things. So in an effort to yep. contain myself, I come up with eight questions that I really wanna ask, but I only roll the dice three times. And whatever three questions we get, that's what we're going with for the first portion of the show. So I love that you have to contain yourself. I'm exactly the same. So this, this interview could have rambled on for four days, to be fair. I am so spoiled with the amount of time I have for these, and it's still never enough. <laughs> we got a three. Ah, I like this one. Filming 101. What is a seemingly silly question about the way that films and shows are made that you were afraid to ask when you first started out? Ooh, that's a really good question. And the first thing that springs to my mind is uh, on camera, they're like, 
no, because you're you're looking camera left, but he's camera right of you. And you're, I still don't understand it, but I've just learned to be very good at styling it out. And I go, oh yeah, yeah obviously, obviously. But it's that, the line, they talk about the line, the line of looking left to right or right to left. And it's basically like the offside rule. I think most people say they understand it and most people don't. I feel like I have gotten my own taste of that problem thanks to Zoom interviews where when I want to point to something, like I never know what side You're of the like, ah. to. I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Number two. We've got I four. love that. Four is called More TV, Please. If you could guest star on the show of your choice, what would you pick and why? Ooh. Oh my God. Well, at the moment, I'd want to be someone absolutely revolting in Bridgerton. But I wouldn't want to be someone glamorous. I'd want to be an absolute asshole with no makeup, some horrible wig, my boobs flattened down. And yeah, I'd, I'd want to be unrecognizable, kind of Game of Thrones style again. All right, one more. And we've got a seven. That's a wrap. Strangest wrap gift you've ever received. My face uh, lasered onto a, a tree trunk. What was this for? It was, a rap, it was a rap gift for a thing called The Only Boy For Me. And I undid it and for the first time ever could not style it out. I was like, that's my face on a piece of wood. Where does this place live now? At my parents' house, because when I said, look at this ridiculous thing, my dad went, well, I think that's rather unusual and smart. And I went, you keep it then. And so it sits on my parents' windowsill in their kitchen. And every time I look at it, I'm like, really? Honestly, honestly, if I showed you it, you'd be like, yeah, that's, I, I, I still don't quite understand that. It's like they couldn't think of anything else. So they're like, okay, what, what can I find that's the most random thing in the world? Trying to feign thanks for that was hard, even if I am an actor. <laughs> I get your confusion about the gift, but I understand your parents keeping it. I feel like that is totally something that my mother would never let me throw away and she would wind no. up, you know, displaying where people could see yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, God, it's just so odd, I suppose, that they're, and it was a really weird, like, old picture of me. And I just thought, I don't know what's going on here, so I'm just going to give it to my parents. So it was like some weird stalky fan, oh. but it was one of the actors. Very odd. <laughs> All right. Jumping into some credit, actually not a specific credit to start. I was very curious. What did the dream first look like when you were first starting out? Did you want it to be exclusively theater at the beginning or did you always know that you wanted to explore all forms of storytelling and performance? That's exactly what it is, storytelling and performance. I, I mean, I've sung all my life. I remember, you know, when people say to me, uh, when did you decide you wanted to be a performer full stop? I remember distinctly hearing that people sat behind desks in offices and I remember thinking they, they what? They do what? They go to the same what? And do what with papers and pen and what? I remember my brain not being able to compute that rather than how am I going to do this? I remember thinking, well, I, I know what I'm, I know what I'm doing. It's nothing to do with that. Um, and I think in terms of theatre versus television, it was never really my intention to uh, go into long runs of musical theatre because they can be quite exhausting, you know, in general, it's wonderful. If you get a, if, get a contract, it's usually like a year, nine months or whatever. Um, 
so I never intended to do that because I knew my boredom threshold was quite low. Um, and I had always intended to do screen work and then do separate concerts or short runs or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I just kind of fell into musical theatre in a way because, you know, these great directors um, just offered me these wonderful roles, you know, things like, I mean, working with Mike Nichols in Spamalot and Sir Trevor Nunn, who's directed me three times, it's things like that. I, I wouldn't change a beat of it now, but at the time I remember thinking, oh God, I've just signed on for a year or something and that wasn't my intention. But it was obviously right for me at the time because it it made me a grafter. It made everything that I do honest and muscular because you have to look after yourself in theatre. If you're on stage eight shows a week, it is your life. So my discipline is very good because of that. And I think when you get into theatre, you don't get into it to become a star. You do it for the camaraderie and to play great parts. And that's something that has stayed with me always. It is always about the part, whether they look fabulous or look like they've just been dug up. It's always about the part and what I can eke out of that muscularly. Do you find any similar qualities now working a lot in film and television as far as that camaraderie goes? Because I, I love emphasizing the importance of that because I think it's something that is absolutely vital to the business and we just don't talk about it and highlight it nearly enough. It is vital and particularly on Ted Lasso. I mean, I always refer to us all as a, as a company of players, theatre players, because the ball bounces around so happily and there is not one person in this show that thinks they're more important than anyone else. And I mean that hand on heart. And I think that comes across on camera. The ball bounces constantly and there's nobody, you know, just doing their own thing. Least of all, Jason, he, I mean, he'll literally lie down and let somebody take a, take a scene away from him at the drop of a hat. He will make it all about everyone else. And which is why, you know, when he created this character, he is the Ted Lasso vibe, you know? He doesn't just play the character, he embodies it as well because he will always push us all to the front. True Ted Lasso quality. Yeah, he does, he does. And that's why, that's why you know, he's written this because it's obviously coursing through his veins. And uh, I, I think that we all realized that very early on. And so we treat this show as the jewel that he created. When you were first starting out in TV, I know you did a whole bunch of guest appearances on a variety of shows. Was there anyone in particular that made the biggest impression on you as far as helping you figure out what's important to you when signing on for something moving forward? I think it was Game of Thrones, really. I'd done a lot before that, but it was the first time I had looked so utterly hideous. <laughs> in something and I remember at the time you know I walked into the makeup trailer and about three seconds later was vomited out and they'd added in the hairs where you take them out of your eyebrows and stippled my cheeks and made me look bloodshot and all the rest of it and at first I was literally like the Edward Munch like scream picture um because I was thinking oh my god I'm going to be on international television looking like an absolute sack of shit but <laughs> But once I'd got into her and into the fact that she is this deeply, deeply devout character who would have never looked in a mirror in her life, was there for the cause, for the Order of the Seven and devoted to the High Sparrow. It, when they then, when a new makeup artist came along in season six and tried to do the, 
no makeup makeup. I was like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. And it informed me so much about looking inwards instead of giving a shit what you look like on camera. It just so happens that for Rebecca in particular, I worked a lot with our head of hair and makeup, Nikki Austin, and with Jackie Levy, our extraordinary costume designer, and said, I want Rebecca to look utterly, utterly flawless because every single inch of her inside is at odds. So that was extremely important to go completely the other end of the spectrum for Rebecca. So that's kind of where I start. I see the look in my head and then I work from there. So hard for me not to jump straight into Game of Thrones, but I did want to ask you a little <laughs> bit about Les Mis because that just seems like such an incredible set to be on. And the way that they recorded the vocals on that is, is fairly unique. So can you kind of paint a picture of what it was like stepping onto that set and doing that particular song there? Well, talking, talking about the, the whole fact that we all just had in-ear little things and just like a synthesizer, like a little keyboard playing. So they hadn't even done all the orchestrations then. So we just had like for that end of the day number, we had literally on on a keyboard somebody going bam bam that's all we had to keep that metronome of time and at first we were all like oh my god this is crazy but then you think hold on a minute we've all been in musical theater for years we sing everything live it's exactly the same as we would usually be on a live stage so it was ingenious of them to do it like that and i think the greatest thing about stepping on that set was in our particular um, world there, that factory world, every single person, every single woman along those benches was huge, hugely established in musical theatre in their own right. Some of us doing one line here and one line there. And we all just wanted to be there because, you know, Tom Hooper, my God, the director, so knew what he was doing. And lovely Anne Hathaway and um, Hugh Jackman were very much theatre bods on it. You know, it was an, a complete pleasure to, to be on it, but more than them, a real pleasure to stand next to my contemporaries, one of whom was playing Fontaine on the stage that night. It was extraordinary. It was a real, just kind of doing it for the love of it because we wanted it to, to go down on the, on the silver screen and be kept forever. I love the way it's shot too, because it does such a good job of highlighting so many individuals in the ensemble and making yeah. sure that they make an impression and the visuals are seared in your brain, even with such limited screen time. And that's that's a, a real art to achieve. But I don't know whether you noticed this, Tom Hooper's conceit was that you don't see any one, he could have had everyone as an ensemble of players in every scene, but slightly disguised. He didn't have any, any two people in any of the worlds. So the whores wouldn't have been in the factory scene, you know, every single, the, the huge cast for that, but it was inspired because it makes sure that you move into each world where of course you would see different individuals. Um, something else, Re revisiting, yeah. I purposely revisited a lot of your work and it was like, actually this is true of every single title I was revisiting. It's impossible to just play your scene and then not continue on with the movie or show. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Game of Thrones, Les Mis and Sex Education. Well, I, I make a point of only choosing things or letting things in that I think are remarkable. Otherwise, I'd rather be out of work. 
Now, you're definitely accomplishing that right now. All right, let's jump into Game of Thrones full force. You kind of answered my curiosity about like the creative enthusiasm involved with playing a character like that. But can you walk us through the audition? My God, Harry, the audition was, well, for a start, I was eight and a half, no, just under eight and a half months pregnant at the time. I was pregnant from the cheekbones out. I mean, I was like a ship in full sail just gargantuan and I went into this meeting and I was like okay bear in mind I was only going there I thought there's no way I'm going to get this part because I'm heavily pregnant and clearly just about to pop um and I thought but but the good thing is because I've been doing theatre I knew of this Game of Thrones phenomenon but I hadn't seen any of it So I went along and I literally went along to audition for the casting director, Nina Gold, kind of like her to say hello for next time when I wasn't with child. And so I went in very relaxed and I walked in and it was a room full of elderly women who were almost as wide as they were tall. And I was like, I even rang my agent and went, I genuinely, I'm not joking, I genuinely think I'm in the wrong place. Because, you know, I'm 6'2 in heels and with my pregnant bump as well, I was literally twice their height and probably half their age. And, uh, and I was just like, I don't think this is right. And she went, oh, no, did I not tell you you're their wild card, wild card? So by then I was just like, this is going to be hilarious. I'm going to be in and out the door in two seconds. It's fine. I walked in, did the audition and it was the bit with the ladle feeding, feeding Cersei the water and then smacking her and, you know. And I just got a bit too much into it. And I accidentally, it was a wooden spoon and a wooden ladle, wooden spoon and a wooden bowl. And I accidentally, with my sweaty hand, flung the ladle at the casting director's shin. (laughs) And when I was called in for my recall, David Benioff and Dan Weiss both went, by the way, we just have to tell you that your first take was hilarious because you're the scariest woman we've ever seen and your gaze at the end of it was terrifying like you were going to kill us. And then when you thought it had cut and you flung the ladle at the casting director's shin and went, oh my God, darling, I'm so sorry. They absolutely howled with laughter. They were like, who is this woman? <laughs> there needs to be some sort of like a bonus feature somewhere where we can see that, that footage somewhere because it really made me laugh that it was Dan Weiss was just like, Seriously, it was like you were this terrifying woman and then suddenly you were your ridiculous self apologizing for hurting someone. Is that a, is that a common thing? Because it's the, it's the first time I've ever heard of an audition being referred to as a wild card where, you know, they'll bring in a bunch of people that, that like visually suit the role as they imagine and then just say like, these are our wild cards. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd never heard of that before or since, but if you'd seen them, you would have been like, Han, you are definitely the wild card in here and it's not gonna go your way. <laughs> so this is gonna sound ridiculously specific right now, but it's not every day that we have a one word line of dialogue become so iconic. Was, yeah. there, was there any playing around with the way to deliver the word shame or any specificity involved there? Um, well, David Nutter, the director, actually, when he and I first met, we were, we were in uh, Dubrovnik, uh, Old Town, obviously, where King's Landing uh, was set, certainly for season five. And he called me into this kind of um, big uh, boardroom in the hotel we were all staying in. He was like, look, 
I know that I don't need to go through this with you because of your singing background, but if you can, if you can find a pitch, and I'm, I'm appealing to you as a, as a singer, as a musician, find a pitch, one that you can maintain, and two, that is something that she has done all her life because she is the henchman to the high sparrow and a tone that lets everyone know there's no mucking about with this character. And I stood on the other, I stood at the other end of the room and I said, well, I hear her like this and I did it. And he went, well, that's the shortest meeting I've ever had. I'll see you tomorrow. And that was that. That's incredible. Great success because I will never not hear it the exact way you deliver it. And I mean, is it is it kind of crazy that you've become a, a highly shareable meme because of crazy. that one word? Crazy. It's crazy. And people tell me all the time the amount of interviews I do and people say, you know, that that was always the thing that in our office, we've got a bell and then someone says, says that. And I, I love it. I mean, what's not to love? And and David and Dan loved the fact that everyone went nuts for that character as well. It's, you know, she wasn't meant to come back in season six, but they emailed me and said, look, everyone has loved the fact that um, somebody has finally come up against Cersei. We have to give her a really sticky end. Would you be up for it? And I was like, um, hello, yes, of course. So um, yeah, season six was, a, was a, such a welcome surprise. What, what, what was her ending meant to be in season five? Like what, what was the closing of the door for the character then? You, you weren't gonna see her. That was it. Cersei goes back into the Red Keep and that's, that's it. But because of the success of the character, they brought her back and then, and then you see her with um, Nat Dormer's character uh, making her a tone. And I love, I love that so many of my friends were like, oh God, that's not gonna end well for that one either. <laughs> and of course I got to work with Dame Diana Rigg, which was just, such a privilege. God. I really can't imagine that character's story going any other way. No. I always love asking about the value of having a good scene partner, someone who supports your work in addition to delivering their work well yeah. on their own. And when it comes to Game of Thrones, it seems like that's of the utmost importance for the scenes that you share with Lena. And I mean, it's pretty much every single scene that you guys share together seems yes. incredibly demanding to me. So what was it like working together and what were you two able to do for each other to make those scenes, I don't know, maybe, maybe not like miserably, challenging or maybe that's well, just how I'm perceiving them I think the the key with Lena and myself was we immediately got on we're both what we would call here birds we're not like fluffy girly girls um we got on immediately we really dig each other from the word go and I think that we we just realized that it was very much a bit of teamwork on that and um, which she and I are friends still today. And if you think about how much, how little time rather that we actually spent on that together, that makes me feel like they got the chemistry right there. Um, and I was acutely aware of coming into something where she had been carving out such a magnificent three-dimensional character for five seasons. I, I owed it to her and to her detailed work to come in and bolster that up around her 
So um, I'm just glad that it was so well received and that she and I are still very silly friends. I was reading one other thing, I guess another potential change for Unella that had me wondering because I was reading that her demise originally was way worse than what we saw in the final product. So I guess, dare I ask, what could be worse than what we saw? Uh, she was meant to be raped by the mountain. Um, and I think they'd had so many complaints about the rape of Sansa um, that they chose not to go with it. But <laughs> unbelievably, they changed it quite at the last minute. They, I think they possibly changed it when I was midair flying to Belfast because suddenly I got sent these new sides that said um, that I would need a wetsuit top. And I thought they'd sent me the wrong bits. <laughs> and sure enough, when I got there, I was then put in a wetsuit top and I was like, because, and they went, oh, it's, it's gonna be, it's waterboarding instead. And I was like, oh, but we're not actually doing waterboard. No, 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 we are. And there I was strapped to a wooden table with proper big straps for 10 hours. Oh. Um, and definitely other than childbirth, it was the worst day of my life because Lena was uncomfortable pouring liquid in my face for that long. And I, I was I'm beside myself, but in those moments you have to think, do you serve the peace and get on with it? Or do you chicken out and go, no, this isn't what I signed up for, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> the funny thing was after we'd finished shooting it the whole day and, and people like Miguel Sopochnik, the director, by the way, walking past with a cup of tea and a, and a sandwich on the go and going, hi, Anna, are you all right? And I was like, not really. I've just been, you know, the crew have just been saying we are actually really waterboarding you here. And I was like, yep, you don't need to tell me that. Um, when I got back to the hotel that night, I was going up in the lift and I was standing next to Eugene um, who had had to crawl through loads of shit to get out of the set of Baylor. <laughs> and, I, and he was like, oh my God, what happened to you today? I could barely speak because I'd been screaming through the mountain's hand, which is quite frightening as a singer to completely lose your voice. So I had no voice at all to barely whisper. Bruises already coming up like I'd been attacked. And I was like, I've just, I, I've basically just been waterboarded for 10 hours. And he went, mate, I've just been crawling through shit for four days on my elbows. We were like, see, you haven't been in Game of Thrones unless you've been really, really battered around. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to cheat at my dice game. I want to bring back one question that we didn't know. <laughs> I'm curious if it might apply to this. What is one thing that you had to do for a movie or a show that now makes you say, I'm glad I did that, but never, ever again? There we go. That waterboard, okay. that, that waterboarding, because I hadn't even realized that it definitely gave me claustrophobia around water. Definitely. I hadn't realized until I watched a program where the camera's down on the actor's face and they're being dipped into the water, but you see them face up to camera. And I got in a terrible panic about it. And I actually went and had a bit of kind of, uh, a bit of a chat to somebody about it because it was it's quite full on being waterboarded for 10 hours and then only one minute and 30 seconds to be used on camera <laughs> i don't mean to harp on this but it but it is making me wonder like what what would you say to another actor who is about to do something like is there any way to film a scene like that 
and make it feel authentic in the final product, but without actually suffering any trauma. Well, you have to remember, you know, when I was strapped there, and as a singer, I was, I was, the one thing that I was really worried about, I didn't want the strap tight around my neck. But as they pointed out, if the, if the camera can see you lifting your head up to save yourself, that's not authentic. And it was Dan Weiss that came up, came up to me and went, look, in the script it says, Cersei empties the remainder of her glass of red wine to wake up Unella. People aren't gonna think that's enough you know, what you've put the character through, her character through, that is not enough retribution for Cersei, especially the kind of person that she is. It needs to be more like a three quarter full or so, if we can cheat it even more, uh, carafe of wine. And that's what I mean about that moment of fight or flight. I just thought, you know what? The one thing I kept thinking to myself, the production company aren't going to let you die. <laughs> So get on with it, be uncomfortable. And this is what I, like you were saying in your question, I would say, get on with it. As long as you feel like there's not any genuine threat of something happening, push yourself, be uncomfortable. It's the same as, you know, if people don't cry on camera, don't impart this emotion to the right moment, you know, why not? Why not? My whole thing has always been, take people to the absolute nth degree of their emotions. And that's the same thing. Give of yourself and then it gives back to you. I feel like I have to jump into Ted Lasso now because I have so many questions, but I do want to sneak in one sex education question. Maybe I, I want to ask you for a season three tease so badly, but I know you probably can't say anything. I guess maybe like just not if this is the case. Is it safe to assume that we are going to see how Jackson and Sophia's talk in season two winds up influencing the family dynamic moving forward? Yes, but uh, we are barely in season three because I was busy doing Ted Lasso. I mean, barely. But I will tell you that um, season three and my boy Jackson, Kedar, um, his contribution becomes increasingly beautiful. I like that to you. So like, I'm, I'm being greedy now. You're giving me Ted Lasso, but taking away a little sex education. <laughs> yeah. I want everything. All right. So Ted Lasso, mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe let's start with the burning question first. Everybody wants to know, are the biscuits actually any good? No. What do they taste like? <laughs> they taste like, um, they possibly could have been a nice biscuit at some point, but had been left out in the air for weeks. I mean, they're better than they were last season, to be fair. I think because they've heard me complaining about them so publicly for so long, they're like, we've better slightly improve them. So they're a little bit more buttery this time. Okay. But I, I always say to people, it's my own fault because I decided to make her an emotional eater as a result of Ted bringing them into her life. So no one's ever asked me to eat them as vociferously as I do. But I just feel that that's what she would do. And that's why I sniff the box as well, because it's like her fix. So you're actually eating the biscuits on set for multiple takes, or is it a situation where, you know, you got to- Oh, no, no, I eat them. Oh, yeah, no, I just get on that. Oh, yeah, I can't be doing the whole spit bucket thing. No, 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 no. 
we used to play a would you rather game all the time. And one of my favorite questions to ask was, would you rather have to eat throughout an entire scene or run throughout an entire scene? Oh God, eat, 100% eat. Right. Yeah, and in fact, Juno, uh, in a previous interview we were doing, said that she's noticed that I do get it down to a fine art, the choreography of how much of a biscuit I start with in the scene to make it look like I've already been eating the biscuit and the gap when I pop it in my mouth or put it on the plate or whatever. Because I just think that that it's like, it, it's that emotional thing of Rebecca. When she's done something that she's a bit scared of, she's like, I'm a lemon, I'm a lemon, I'm a lemon. <laughs> yeah, I can relate all too well. So you were talking about this a little bit earlier, but do you remember the moment either in pre-production or while you were on set where something clicked and you realized that this is like a next level special show. Like we don't get stuff like this that often. This is definitely on that other tier. I think it was when we were shooting the gala episode four and we finally meet Rupert, old <laughs> Mannion. Um, yeah, when Anthony Head showed up, everything changed for me. It's, I already knew who she was with Rebecca. Um, and then when he turns up and she's blinded by the light and can't really see who it is, but knows the voice, that, that gave me an extra layer of Rebecca that, that she's previously talked about, but then when you actually see them in the flesh together and it just fit perfectly. And also it's the first time when we see her and Keely really leaning on each other properly. And we see that that's a sign of things to come. And I think everyone, brought out their characters more in that episode than any of the other episodes. It was just, like I say about the ball bouncing from one character to another, I think that episode was outstanding. And especially in terms of the camera work as well, it was just, I, I'll, I'll always remember that episode as being like the springboard that made me realize I was in something really special. I, I think I feel what you're describing there while watching that episode. So Rebecca has like a, a very lengthy journey from, like she's pretty much teed up as the villain of the show at the very beginning. And then obviously, all right, wait, before I even ask this question, I should put up a big old spoiler warning right now for our viewership. So yes. if you have not seen Ted Lasso in full, this is the point of the video where you push pause, you go binge it on Apple TV plus, and I'm warning you, you're gonna have to <laughs> the entire thing through. Then when you come back to this video, all you do is press play. And it starts right here. So this there is we it. So we're we're going to go for it right now. <laughs> All right. So Rebecca starts out as a villain, teed up as a mm -hmm. villain at least. And we yeah. hit the redemption at the end. But all throughout, I love how how subtly the show adds moments of vulnerability that, that basically set up the fact that she is going on this journey. So what was it like kind of peppering those in? And were there ever any moments in the show where you guys kind of had to workshop how much you wanted to, you know, show those cards? Uh, no, because I think the writing is so exquisite that I was discovering her softness and her hard shell every day. Um, I had no idea that she was going to have come from such a verbally abusive relationship. I had no idea of the arc with the old Rebecca, new Rebecca thing and the pregnancy and all of that. I had no idea. Um, but bizarrely, what I created for myself as a backstory was that 
when she and Rupert got together, she probably would have been around 30 and that she was very keen to have children and so put her own career on a back burner to try and convince him he had always said that he didn't want to have children. This was all in my own head, that he'd never wanted to have children. And so she had chosen man or child and she'd stuck with the man. And can you imagine how weird it was then when I was given episode nine and Rupert comes in and says, no, I just didn't want a child, Ugh. dot, dot, dot. And honestly, that, that one scene that goes from on the verge of confessing to Ted to the funniness of her embarrassment at talking to Ted's rewinding the scene to going out and thinking no I've got to I've got to be accountable for my shit I've taught Keely that you must be accountable then to see the switch of Rupert coming in and saying all of that and then walking and telling Ted that whole sequence that I think MJ Delaney just masterfully directed that whole sequence, it, make, it gives me goose pimples just talking about it. That whole sequence, I had no idea that that was going to be the storyline. But in my head, I had created that she was a woman who had missed the boat with her fertility. The baby reveal scene is one of the most crushing things that I've ever watched. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. That, that like one performance beat might be one of my favorite elements throughout the entire series. Because when... Oh. When he delivers that line, the camera is on you and it's like mostly dialogue less. And you mm. go through such a range of emotions just on your face conveying, I mean, kind of conveying a lot of that history that you just mm. brought up and who she is now mm. and trying to be strong in front of him. So I don't know, like, I, I don't even have a good specific sub question. I just wanted to like ramble that out and ask you, what was it like doing that reaction? <laughs> well, do you know what was amazing about that? we had shot Anthony Head's coverage during the day and then they weren't going to be coming around for my coverage for some reason until later. And I think Anthony saw my face fall because we were so much in the moment. I think it was like over lunch or something. They were going to like, they went, oh, we'll come back to this after lunch. And I was just like, ah, ah. And he went, and he said, oh, they said, oh, Anthony, you've wrapped for the day because the, the next bit was going to be me turning round to walk down the stairs to go and confess to Ted. And you know what that man did? This is what I mean about it being a company of theatre players. He stayed and waited and before the camera rolled, he spat a load of nasty, shitty words about her and him in my ear so that when I turned round, I was back where I needed to be. That is special casting goes back to the value of a scene partner. That's the stuff I love hearing about. Let's, let's throw that kind of question over uh, to Jason and the, the apology scene, which, you know, it's another like monologue that I thought was just so beautifully delivered. That, that monologue, I guess, is mostly covered in your single, what can he be doing for you kind of off camera as a scene partner to best support your work in that moment? Uh, what he always does, which is to be utterly in the moment and listening to the point where you can feel that he's feeling every breath. And the most important thing in that from him was something he does elsewhere as well. He does it in the scene when we're standing outside the gala and he comes to her and, and is wondering, you know, it's the first time she breaks down to him, but he did it as well in, in this scene. He 
because of his exquisite writing ability, he carried on ad-libbing a bit. When, at the moment when Rebecca's confessed, you know, when he talks about divorce is hard, he carried on, he carried on and really lent into me so much that it was almost like he was playing with my own emotions to get out of me what was needed on camera. So you've got a writer, a fellow actor and a director and the creator of the show making you look good on camera. Everything about this show makes me so happy. <laughs> What's in the final product and now what I hear about how it went down behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, it's um, I, I, I always say to people, the next job I'm on, I'm going to struggle. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, because it's um, the people on this are, are special. And I've said before that the casting of this gave me a whole gaggle of new people in my life that I didn't realize I needed. But now I know I won't ever be without. This next question is kind of more of a, you know, it's like a theory type question and getting a little creative with it at this point, now that we know that the, uh, we know the trajectory she's on, but what do you think might've happened if the coach that Rebecca hired to ruin the team wasn't Ted Lasso? Do you think that ultimately she would have been successful at just ruining everything and being happy that she did that to Rupert? Or do you still think that there's a chance that she would have seen the error in her ways and have changed? I think it would have been a longer line. I think she would have ruined the team quicker, got what she thought she needed, and somewhere down the line would have realized that it had only crept her deeper into absolute depression. And I mean, I genuinely think we find Rebecca at a precipice and had Ted not come along, I think she would have been in terrible trouble. You're probably right. I do think that Keely is a good backup. Like if Ted was her safety net, Keely was right behind and would have been the one to catch her. Yeah, yes, but that's what I mean about it being, it would have been further down the line yeah. um, because I also think that Keely comes into Rebecca's life as a result of the interaction between uh, Keely, Ted and Rebecca with the panda lion scene, which I just think is brilliant. You know, to have that initial spike towards Keely, um, I think that would have been a slow burn that she would have actually got into, you know, when she's throwing him under the bus with the photo shoot. I think somewhere down the line, she would have thought back on that conversation and thought that girl was silly and funny. I liked her. I wish I hadn't done that to her. The relationship between those two characters is a major, major highlight for me. So now... It, it's come to the point where I got to ask you a tease for season two. I know you probably can't say anything. So maybe just like no, maybe broad, broad, broad and light is like, is there any, you know, next step that you're looking forward to audiences seeing Rebecca take? <laughs> well, universally, I think Jason put it brilliantly and um, I'm referencing the stormtrooper behind you. Jason has described season two as the Empire Strikes Back. And I'm inclined to agree with him. Um, and everything I've heard, because, you know, we are, we are so precious about this show that I'm not gonna lie, I was, I was nervous to see how, for everyone, not just my character, I was thinking, oh God, you know, we've created such a honey 
how do we how do we not let the fans down or where they think it'll go or whatever and the brilliant thing is the writers are on their own journey and have done us all such a service such a great service i was worried that rebecca would suddenly be this brand new person that she has strength and happiness in her life she realizes she doesn't have to be like that she's been forgiven da 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 she's suddenly this perky person and i'm so glad that um we find her uh with some moments of strength but then the whole two steps forward one step back one step forward two steps back and i was really relieved that that we see everyone's flaws and good things as well because that is the human condition isn't it you're not suddenly better that is an excellent tease right there and gives me gives me all the faith that season two will have all the charm that I've come to love in season one, but also that added depth too, that makes sure yes. that the content sticks with you and can yeah. truly believe the show can inspire change for anybody who watches it. 100%. 100%. All right, we have hit our second game of the episode. We are doing cast superlatives. So I'll give you the superlative and you tell me which Ted Lasso cast member best fits this descriptor and why. Oh. Life of the party. Katie Jones. Would that be Juno Temple? Oh, Juno Temple, yeah. <laughs> Juno Temple. Let's go best footballer. Oh, God, if any of the boys watch this, I'm going to be in such <laughs> trouble. Can I say definitely not, definitely not Roy Kent or Brett Goldstein? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, oh, it's a toss-up between, if we're talking the real actor, I would say it's a toss-up between Phil Dunster as Jamie Tart and Tahib Jamo as Sam Abisanya. That does not surprise me one bit. Yeah, I can't, I can't kind of decide between them. They're, they're both demons. They can both really, really do it. How about most likely to break out in song? Uh, hello, me. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to give one light up there. How yeah. about most, most changed? Like someone who changed the most from day one of making the show to where they are now? Ooh, that's a hard one because I actually don't think people have, changed um i think because we are a company of people who are not young in particular we are i think what makes it a happy camp is that we all know who we are and we all like to sit in the mix together nobody's trying to be more starry than anyone else so i don't know i'm gonna have to pass on that one i don't i don't think anyone's really changed and i think that's a good thing who could probably make the best biscuits oh Probably Brett Goldstein. Yeah, because he's a demon pie maker. Ooh, all right. Mm. That's, that's some good reasoning there. Yeah, he gives a good lattice, a good lattice pie. Yeah. Our last one here. Who is most like their character on the show? <sighs> I'm not sure that anyone is, is really, I'm definitely much more silly than Rebecca and much more gangly and tomboyish and, you know, I would say probably the most unlikely character I would say is probably Nick Mohammed. I mean, he has his moments of being like Nate, but in the in the main, he's far more of a cool cat and uh, and very charming and twinkly and not that kind of get off the grass, get off the grass. You know, he's not he's not that. We have come to the end. I've already kept you too long. We always end ladies night with the same two questions. First yeah. one is, can you name someone who you think is changing the industry for the better? Um. Viola Davis. I think she's just an absolute Trojan. I think she's magnificent. 
I think that's an excellent answer. And this last one is a little heavy. You could take it in a lighter direction if you prefer. What is the biggest fear you've ever had that you've actually managed to overcome? Ooh. Oh, God, that's a good one, Perry. Do you know what? I'd I'd probably say it was it was in the moment of lying on that torture table. I just thought, I don't think I can do this. I don't think they realize how terrified of water I am. I mean, really, I've never dived because I'm terrified of going headfirst into water. I can't dive. So yeah, that's the first thing that springs to my mind that because in general, I, I'm very much one for feel the fear and do it anyway. And as a single mother, you face fears every day. Um, the overwhelming responsibility of being a, the main person in their life and being a good example to them. Um, but yeah, on a, on a practical level, that was that day I was like, we can, we can either get out or get going on this. Yeah, so probably that. I have to let you, I could ask you a million more questions about all of your projects, too easy to talk to, but I gotta let you go. And I'm gonna let all of our viewers out there know, season one of Ted Lasso, you can binge it in full on Apple TV Plus right now. Season two, it arrives on July 23rd. I, I like enjoying every day, but I want all these days to go by super fast. So I can, <laughs> second season. And I cannot congratulate you enough on Ted Lasso and everything you've accomplished. Thank you for hanging out with us on Ladies Night. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. It really has, genuinely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.